Hello and welcome to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. Unexpectedly finding himself as a truck driver with the Mercedes F1 team, to then working with Schumacher and Rosberg, today's guest ultimately became the right-hand man to Lewis Hamilton, guiding his integration into the team during those early days in 2013. Now sporting young driver talent from a wide pool globally onto the racing ladder, his business allows him to share those winning insights learnt from his experience with multiple world champions. He is firm in his belief that if you are good enough, you have the right to the same opportunities as anyone else. Part of Driven by Diversity's founding team, today we will be hearing from Ivor Bourne. Why don't you start off by telling us a bit about you and your journey into motorsport? Okay, Um, well... If I'm perfectly honest, I'm going to have to go back a long way and, and it, you'll see how it all ties in. I'm going to go back over 50 years because I am 57 years old now. And my earliest memories are two distinct ones. The first one was building my first go-kart and it consisted of an old pram uh, <laughs> using the large big wheels, small back, uh, small front wheels, uh, one, two, three pieces of wood. So I had a fixed rear axle, uh, a steering front axle with the wheels on the front, and a bit of rope. That was my <laughs> go-kart. And how old were you then? I was, I suppose, we were about seven or eight at our first attempt. So it was it was trying to bend nails using dad's hammer, smashing the fingers to bits, <laughs> trying to get these wheels to stay on, which they never did. But it was fun rolling down hills. No brakes, no nothing. Love that. That sounds very cool, cool running zest. Oh, yeah, it, it, exactly. It was exactly that. It was equally as dangerous. Equally as dangerous. Um, and then another... another um, I suppose it was a goal that I'd set myself at six years old because um, I always maintained that I wanted to hold all the licenses available, as in a car license, a bike license, a truck license, and a pilot's license. Now, I've managed to achieve, I suppose, three and a half of those. I did start learning to fly, but I can drive trucks, I drive cars, and I can ride motorbikes all very quickly. Now, I'll bring the story forward to, to my, I suppose, journey into, into motorsport per se. Now, when I was growing up, it was on the mainstream. Formula One was on TV, Rallycross was on TV, bike race, everything was on telly. It wasn't subscribed to, you'd have to pay for it. And so there was an interest there. But it wasn't that interest where it would hold me. You know, I always wanted to be out on the street. I always wanted to be playing out with my friends on the street, on my push bike, whatever the case might be. And so when it came off of the telly, so did my interest. I lost interest in what was happening there. And so you heard these names. You heard your Mansells. You heard your Michael Schumachers and, and your Barry Kellers and your Ayrton Sands. You heard all of these names, but it didn't mean anything to me. I'm going to skip now a big portion of life forwards in, into where... My entry into motorsport, it's, it's, it's really strange because up to that point, I wasn't really interested in motorsport per se. And it was something that I'd learned to appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain why. I gave you the story about those four licenses I wanted to have. I had my truck license by this time and... Um, it was shortly after I'd come to an end of a major building contract. I thought, well, you know, I might do a bit of truck driving just for the fun of it. And I popped into Eddie Stobart's, who happened to have the logistics contract for Mercedes at Brackley. But I didn't know that at the time. I just went in there and said, I'd like to do a bit of casual work for you guys. And uh, they said, OK, we'll give you a call. Heard nothing. 
It was the January of 2010. I got a call to say, we need you to do some driving for us for a, a weekend. Come in and see us. So I went in, did the work, and they had an A4 piece of paper. They wanted drivers for F1. Now, F1, in my mind, bearing in mind, I'm coming from a truck driver's point of view, not a motor racing point of view, is a um, like a hotel chain. So I thought I was delivering furniture to these hotels. Okay, Formula uh. One. <laughs> Understandable. Now, I got to, uh, they said, right, you're going to go down to Brackley. I said, well, I don't know any Formula One hotels in Brackley. So I went to Brackley. <laughs> turned up and as weird as it sounds so i was surrounded by f1 cars the penny did not drop it, it was one of those cases where i'm thinking f1 car but they're not real because they just don't look like real cars they they just look like toys and they said right you're going to barcelona for the test in 2010 i thought okay that sounds good so what am i driving and there was my truck nice big silver shiny mercedes truck and we were responsible for taking the cars down. I'm going to fill in a bit here now because I often believe that you have to be in the right place in the right time and things happen for a reason. Absolutely. Now, yeah. six months prior to me even thinking about doing this work, I was watching the Silverstone Grand Prix on telly and they did an aerial shot of, of, of Silverstone with the, with the new wing that was opening up and stuff like that. And I saw the trucks lined up there. I said, I wonder what it's like to be a truck driver in F1. Six months later, it's exactly what I'm doing. Ah, you're tempting fate there. And I thought, okay, so this, it still didn't feel real, but it became real. And, and the reason it became real for me was the first time I met Michael Schumacher. And it wasn't a case of, wow, I was blown away. It was a case of, so you're the fella that keeps winning everything. It was <laughs> that kind of an introduction. And he was, he, he's, he was, or is the greatest guy that I've ever met. He's, he's fantastic. That's a whole different story. And, and it was just, it, it really turned out to be just um, a series of events that happened that got me to being in that environment. And I suppose what I'm saying at this point is that you don't necessarily have to force your way in. It will call you in when they want you and when they need you, it just draws you. So I did two tests for Mercedes and they said, uh, do you fancy traveling the world with us? I said, well, as a truck driver. I said, no, 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 you can come and help because my background is in building. And because the garages start as a blank canvas and it's all built up and dressed up to make it look as it does on TV, they said, well, you can help do that and when you've done that you can do security for us as in stop people in the garage coming in the garage for weekends and stuff like that which is fine I said yeah cool I'll do that so they were going to pay me to travel around the world with them you know stay in top hotels um, help build things and then stand at the back of the garage for 12 hours a day just talking to people that was my take on it not what I expected but I thought well okay I'll do it and I did and I suppose you make your own luck in that respect because the, the people that you begin to meet and you talk to on a daily basis yeah. and you converse with on a regular basis, from Bernie Eccleston to you name it, any, any, anybody, Toto Wolf. Uh, in the early days, it, it was Ross Braun and, and, and Shuey mm -hmm. and, and Nico. And this is another story Nico. First time I met Nico Rosberg was when I refused to let him in the garage because <laughs> I didn't know who he was. <laughs> Oh dear, how did that go down? <laughs> no, it, it, actually was, it was actually very polite. He said, I am one of the racers. I just thought he was some very rich kid, just wanted to squeeze past me. And to get his own back, he never used my name for 19 out of 20 races. <laughs> but on the 20th race, he said, I do know your name either. <laughs> And and so that's how that's how it well that's how it uh, it developed. Oh, I love that. You've mentioned a lot of names there, um, but is there is there any particular driver or personality that you've met that has sort of shaped your career? Would you say? I think it's it's difficult to say there's a, there's one particular person because ultimately, with with Formula One, you know, I'll, I'll move on to the to the next phase of what happened when I was there. But with it. 
there are so many amazing people, you know, and when you're within that environment, you get that intensity and that sensitivity all at once. It's almost an oxymoron. You think you can't have two in the same place, but they coexist and they all have a way of, of being in the game and out of the game. And that's what makes them world champions, multiple world champions. Um, I'm going to skip forward a couple of years. So the first time I met Lewis Hamilton. Now, I had done security for the team for the two years prior, from 2010 to 2012. And I said, you know, that's fine. That's enough. I, I think I know how this works and I'm, I want to leave. So I did. I walked away. I said, that's fine. I've, you know, I've been there, been around the world a couple of times. And yeah, it's great. People are nice. Loved it. But it's not for me. I got a phone call from the team directly who said that they had a young man joining them who didn't come with any personnel and they wanted me to hold his hand. And it was a young guy by the name of Lewis. Mr. Hamilton. Hamilton. Indeed, it was Lewis. It was the Lewis Hamilton. I said, okay, that's fine. Yeah, cool. And so I ended up going from being a truck driver to now management and driver support in the marketing department. Did you see your life going in that direction? Not until they said that because you talked so much <laughs> when you stood at the back of the garage, this is perfect for you because you just love talking to people. You meet so many different people and everybody <laughs> knows you. You're ideal for Lewis because he knows nobody within this team. You integrate him in this team, let him get his people around him, and then we'll think of something for you to do. So you had a very important part to play then. Initially, yes. I suppose I, I, I called myself the handbag. If you wanted something, fit <laughs> into it and you got it. You know, I was the fixer. I made sure things happened when they should, made sure that he was where he needed to be at whatever time that was supposed to happen, made sure he was comfortable. And these are all key elements to, to the success of the team overall mm -hmm. because ultimately um, when I was given the responsibility of looking after not just Lewis but his family and his guests, all the VIPs that we would get in, I'd have my role would be to make sure they were comfortable on their arrival. You know, obviously the rest of the marketing department would do their thing, but for me, ultimately, I was that first point of contact. So I had to do that bit right. But I think for me, the 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 real the real essence of of being in F1 is is the fact that you hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. These guys are all tuned to within an inch of their life. Everybody, you know, you cannot say in a sentence, in a conversation, that will do, because that will not do. And we are, you're dealing in hundreds and thousands of a second, yeah. which is the difference between first and last. And I'll give you another example. It was a case of uh, Nico out qualifying Lewis. I don't remember the race. And he did it by seven one thousandths of a second. And the aerodynamicist at the time said to me, that's the difference, because at, at that time the cars had stickers, they weren't um, spray painted on uh, logos and that. That's the difference of a corner of one of the numbers lifting during a lap. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference that the, the break-in in the aerodynamics of the car would have in that timing. So it was all about being perfect there were there, you couldn't be anything else and it is as hard as that sounds it worked the whole team gelled together they all worked they all had a specific role absolutely and how do you think that you actually adapt to that sort of environment obviously you weren't coming from that environment and you didn't imagine yourself becoming in that bubble how do you think you actually fine-tune yourself and adapt to those surroundings and change yourself so that you're bringing out the best in yourself all the time well i think i think for me ultimately apart from the fact that you absorb so much of what's going on around you what you need to do is look at look i mean i looked within myself to find out what my key strengths were i knew i had weaknesses. i knew i wasn't perfect and i knew that i was new to the game mm -hmm. but i worked on what i knew best how i could communicate with people which was my strength and i wasn't afraid to ask a question if I didn't understand something, I would ask. And it didn't matter who I asked. It could be the team principal. It could be the mechanics. If I didn't understand something or somebody asked me, I would go and ask the question. So it was never about shying away or putting up a front mm -hmm. to say, yes, I know everything and I'm going to be the best at whatever it is that I do. I had my, I had my foibles, you know. 
we're human at the end of the day and you do have those moments where you slip up but you hold your hand up and say sorry I made a mistake I think that's a really important point, um, especially for, for anyone sort of, of the younger generation that are looking to make their way into such a career. You see it from the outside and it can be quite intimidating because it's it's just perfectionism. You know, they're chasing down these these minuscule margins um, and, and they only take the best. But at the same time, as you say, it's it's a very important point that you shouldn't be afraid to ask a question if you don't understand um, something, because no one knows the answers and, and that's the only way you're going to find the answer to learn from your mistakes and sort of just keep learning. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I've been in, you know, in earshot, shall we say, I've never been part of, but in earshot of engineers briefings with the drivers and having the drivers ask those questions. So, it, you know, there, there is never that thing of being afraid to ask because, you know, I remember when, when this new hybrid era came in and, 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 Nico and Nico had a, had a I suppose a stronger understanding maybe than than Lewis, but Lewis he adapted. He used his strengths to understand how to work the car as well. And you know when you've got different characters, you know when Michael was there, he was all technical and all technical. So he had a combination, if you like, of both the strengths of Lewis and Nico into one. That's what made him such a great driver. But he had a great personality to go with it. You know, it's interesting that um, when you're on the inside and you get to know these people, not just on a professional level, but on a personal level, when you're having conversations beyond the sport, that you get to understand the real person, what really drives them. You know, and, and how long it's taken them to get to where they get to. Because so many of the youngsters out there want to do things now. We live in an instant, an age of instant everything, instant gratification. But in this industry in particular, nothing is that. In, it might appear instant because they come from nowhere to all of a sudden they're up the top. But the years it has taken of hard work and energy and input to get from point A to where they are now is years. I mean, it's multiple years. When I've spoken to all of them, I don't think any of them have ever said they've been in the industry less than 10 years. What people fail to see is, is those real early struggles to get from, from where that starts to the pinnacle. It's great at the top. And yes, it all looks really glamorous at the top. But the work that they do beyond that, at that level, it's not all about racing. It's, it's all about... This is all about the media. It's all about PR. It's how you carry yourself. It's the things you say, how to say them, how you manage your time and how you compartmentalize what's important in your mind because you need to switch off from PR, media, to race driver, to strategist, to engineer. And that's what these drivers do. I mean, for me, the, the most important thing that I got from that entire experience was the real understanding of what motorsport was about. You often hear that people say, well, it's just cars going around the track. But when you've got 1,500 people that are putting out a prototype every two weeks, because no car is the same, it might look the same, but every car has an upgrade. They talk about upgrades and they talk about, you know, things they're bringing to the track. It's phenomenal, the amount of technology that's involved. And part of my role, I suppose, it developed into explaining to guests how the car is put together. So I was then able to understand the aero, the hybrid engine uh, or the hybrid unit, power unit, as it was then, to how it all works, how they bolt it all together. You know, how many nuts and bolts it took to put each, each unit, the, the weight of each element and all of those things. So for me, it became about the technical aspect of the sport to get the cars going. The race itself, I could perhaps give it a miss, but I understand what everybody puts into work-wise to make that happen, and that's important. It's not an easy road. So you touched on there the glamorous side of Formula One and of motorsport in general, but like you said, the reality of it is is not always that glamorous. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of long weekends, long days, traveling around the world. What would you say is actually one of the more difficult parts in the industry? What did you yourself struggle with while you were living in that world? Uh, I suppose there, there are two or three areas. You, are, you spend a lot of time away from home. You mm. are in the company of the same people wherever you are. And like any family, you fall out. 
but you have to live with these people. You've then got um, the differences in time zones that sometimes, especially like the first four races of the season, they were, they were the killer races, they called it. If you made it through the first four, then you, you could, you, you're about ready to survive the rest of the season because you skipped backwards and forwards through time zones like it was crazy. Come the end of the year, when you've got a bit of time to yourself, you are useless to anybody because you are so tired, you just switch off and there's, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And I suppose you need to understand the level of commitment to be at the top, to be the very best, is a lot of sacrifice. You are talking about not having any friends. Now, you know, I love my golf. You can't play golf because there isn't anywhere. You can't play with the guys you're used to playing. You might get the odd hour off. Very rarely do you work any less than 15, 16 hours a day, every day, seven days a week. Testing's even worse. You could be at the circuit for 19 hours. Wow. Go away, come back again for another 19-hour shift. Uh, because testing is 24 hours. It runs day and night. People don't, don't really see that because the cars only run in the day. But you've got a day crew and a night crew. You just cross over into that. Not that it's a negative, but it's the intensity of everything. It's being that person that's on point every time, no matter how tired you are, no matter how overworked you feel you might be, they will expect that little more because that's what it takes to be a world champion. And I can say that as a world champion. So, uh, And not many people can say that. Exactly, exactly. When I got into it, I always said that if I won a world championship, I'd walk away. Not because I didn't enjoy it. I did. I loved every minute of it. I loved the people that I worked with. There were some that I got on with far more easily than others. But again, Mm -hmm. that that just goes with the territory. We don't love everybody in our families. Well, I don't anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you know, you know what I mean? You can't get on with everybody all the time, but there are those you you kind of gravitated towards because they enjoyed the same food as you or or they enjoyed the same music as you and that kind of thing. But what I did decide that if I ever left was I'd then go back to the very beginning because bearing in mind, F1 was my first introduction into motorsport. Mm -hmm. But for me, I then had to understand So, okay, this is the top. So what does the bottom look like? So I spent six months after having won the world championship just exploring the roots of motorsport. So I traveled around the UK and around Europe, just going to karting events and tin top racing events, just to understand at at junior level where this talent is, who this talent is, can these 20 drivers that I saw week in, week out be the only guys, or well, there weren't any girls at the time, but only guys, there was Susie Wolf that was, was a reserve driver for Williams when I was there, but only 20 guys out of everybody around the world. I said, no. And for me, it became almost a, a mission to look everywhere in every corner that I could to find that hidden talent that perhaps didn't have those door opening opportunities that some of the guys at the very top have had to give them the insights which is key of what i'd learned from multiple world champions you know what it took for them to become a multiple world champion and it isn't just about winning a few races it isn't just about working hard and you'll get it it's not it's about perseverance it's about understanding everything that it takes to be a world champion not just and you've got to think like a world champion if you think that by winning a race or winning a championship is going to get you somewhere you'll get nowhere because ultimately what happens is is once you've won that championship it is history the only time it's remembered is if you're at the very top yeah as they say you're only as uh, you're only as good as your last race exactly exactly and, and so what I, what I very, very quickly discovered was that the attitudes of a lot of these drivers at, at grassroots level was wrong. They all mm-hmm. felt that I'm good enough. I should be up there. I'm good enough. 
but it's not it's not just about being good enough mm. you know it, there is so much more and it's about wanting to share those insights with those that were willing to both listen and learn exactly i think that i think that leads us nicely into what you do in in your current role tell us a bit more about that and and what you do now right okay well um when I, when I left, I set up a, a, a company called Integra Sports Partners, now known as Integra Support Partners. And the, the whole premise behind the business was to go to grassroots level, wherever they might be, and understand, A, if there's any talent out there, B, could it be found anywhere, where they had an interest if they were given the opportunity. Because I, un- I recognize that there are a lot of displaced communities in the world today, that you know, yeah. we're a very mobile society. People are moving around constantly. So you can never say you can go to one place and that's where you'll find all your champions. Mm-hmm. You've got to move around and you've got to explore everywhere, male and female. And, and that's what I did. I, I mean, I, I have, met and worked with some fantastic young individuals male and female that have have really shown that with the right support and the right guidance and leadership that they can go on to be the next lewis hamilton or to be the next michael schumacher or whoever might be the champion incumbent in times to come because the ability is there but the the guidance isn't and so for me, I had a head full of knowledge from, from an engineering perspective, from a driving perspective, from a media perspective, from a marketing perspective. But I didn't want to be a catch-all. I didn't want to be the person to say, come to me and I'll tell you how to do it all. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I want you to, to feed off of me, understand that you as the individual have to do the work. I am not going to do the work for you because – it looks that that's how it looks at the top. They have a PR yeah. person, they have a you know, they have their physio. That's not what mm-hmm. I'm gonna do for you. If you want this badly enough, you will work hard with me and I will guide you, but I will not do it for you. I never planned to be a motorsport. It was about being in the right place at the right time. But that doesn't limit that to me that can be anybody there is there are avenues into motorsport for everybody in every way shape and form i was a truck driver i ended up in marketing yeah i think i think the important thing there is that um you might have a goal as a child or as a teenager or as an adult to want to work in motorsport but you know as as you've said you know you can go to be a truck driver and then zigzag and get to where you are now which it's never a straight path um but it's it's an adventure, I guess. It is definitely, and and it's it's a fantastic adventure, and it, it's it's a journey that I I love sharing with people. You know, there there are many many cases, not just myself. There are others that have worked that that are working there still that have started in either hospitality that have gone on to engineering roles. You know, there are many many avenues to getting your foot in the door. It's just being able to be brave enough to recognize that yes. There is something you are really good at, but to understand the environment, because you might get into it and you might not like it. You might think, well, actually, this is not for me. You know, that could be the downside. But ultimately, if you can remain focused and, and understand that it's an opportunity to both find what you want to do and find yourself, because you have to dig deep and you have to look deep within yourself sometimes to understand this is who I really am. You've gone through a lot of really good nuggets of advice there. If you could pick any one sort of key, important bit of advice for anyone wanting to work in motorsport, what would you say to them? If you want to get into motorsport and that is your 100% focus, it's got to be that and that alone. Do not be distracted. Do not be put off by anybody saying, you don't want to waste your time. You don't do this. No one ever gets in, whatever the case might be. If you are 100% committed to that cause, you will get in. There are Mm -hmm. other avenues. You don't have to go in at F1 level to start off with. I was fortunate enough because I just happened to be there at the right time. 
but you know since then i've worked in touring cars i've worked in you know in in lower echelons of motorsport as well but there are there are all sorts of avenues and you'll get experience of all sorts of things obviously like like driving working in the f1 is mm. the pinnacle but it's not the only thing there are so many other disciplines out there but if it's 100 what you want to do not just a wish it's not wishful thinking it's not oh that looks <laughs> really nice i'd love to travel the world there. that's the wrong wrong mindset you know but if you are 100 set on going forwards and making it your dream making it your reality then stick with it go with it there are plenty of people that you can talk to that will give you the encouragement that you need to make it happen brilliant advice you know i would i would talk to anybody and encourage them to follow it just follow that follow that path absolutely i think it's key to remember that you know have have that goal in sight and sort of not lose track of it and as you say don't get put off by people that tell you you know you're not good enough or you won't make it or why would you want to do that because that's your goal. That's what you want to do. So do everything in your power that you can do to get there. Coming back to the beginning of our conversation, if you manifest it, you know, it, it does, it sounds crazy, but it does tend to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it finds you. It does. It, it, it literally, it finds you. You don't find mm. it because, you know, no matter the, I suppose the one thing, the one thing that, that is so key you don't know who's watching. Exactly. So you always give yourself the best opportunity. Always present the best side of you at every opportunity. But it has to be the nature. You're in, within your nature to be that way. You know, you can't you can't walk around with a facade mm-hmm. because that will crack and that will disappear. Mm-hmm. Because people love people. You know, they love that interaction. They want to hear your story they want to understand how it all comes together and how it works for you fantastic you mentioned earlier that you um went exploring a range of different communities searching out you know the best and the next champions the next big names within the sport and that's because you realized that those people can come from any walk of life they can be male they can be female they can come from any place in the world diversity at the moment is a massive topic uh, across the world and within motorsport as well so moving on to that a little bit what was your experience of diversity in formula one um, if i'm perfectly honest when i first started obviously Luke was there um there was a, a guy mark weber's physio was a black guy mm-hmm. um there was myself uh, Anthony Hamilton would be there occasionally. There, there's um, I can never remember the guy's name. He's at every race. He's always on tour. Wears all the jewelry, dripped in gold. Moko. Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> you know, he's always there, really friendly. Um, but generally, it's pretty. When I was there, I should say there weren't many. There weren't many mm-hmm. of us there. Either that or they all hid. But at the time. It was joked around the palette that I was the second most famous black guy in F1. That's purely because I spoke to everybody next to Lewis, you know, and, yeah. and I was, even if, I, I dare I say, if I went back into the paddock now, people would still know me as the bloke that talked to everybody. No. And so you either stood there for 12 hours and did nothing, or you sit there and talk yeah. to people. I mean, I'd I'd have a joke with Bernie when he was when he was in charge of uh, whatever it was from at the time, and not let him in the garage. He said, "I won't let you anywhere near the paddock." <laughs> so that's the kind of banter that I ended up having with all of these people. When when you can say you're on first name terms with some really really great people, and you meet some awesome celebrities too. To be fair, that. Yeah, it, it can it can change your perspective. But coming back to your question, did I see many mainly celebrities if they were if they were in the paddock, then that was that was the main diversity. But in terms of mm-hmm. working from what I had seen, no. Do you think there's a reason for that? I I just believe that there's um a level where they don't think it's well it's not for me. And they say that not because it isn't for them, but they've not really been given the opportunity to explore it. Yeah. I mean, I I just happened to be a truck driver. Now, had I been anything else and gone in, I don't know whether I would have got the position. I really don't. 
mm-hmm. you know. Um, and most of the guys that I grew up with wouldn't give motorsport a second look. But do you think that's because when you look at motorsport, when you look at Formula One, you don't see many people that do represent you? So do you think that just by nature of that, you can't envision yourself there? Yeah, you know, it's a bit like if I, if I were to put a title on it, it would appear elitist. It's a bit like tennis, you know, back in, again, I'll go way back when Arthur Ashe was playing tennis and stuff like that. Yes, you thought, oh, we are, I'll follow that. It's when Tiger Woods stuck out golf. Yes, I'm going to start playing golf. Yeah. In motorsport, Lewis was a kid when he started in, with McLaren. Yeah. You know, we're grown men. We're not going to look at a kid. And and again, when we were looking at go-karting, it was, well, yeah, that's all right, but let's let's do something else. Let's go clubbing or whatever the case is. We're good at music. We like that kind of thing. Let's go and do that. Motorsport, mm-hmm. it was a, always a, well, why? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just believe that they, they believe it's it's outside of what they'd be permitted in almost. It's, it's a really strange, it's that subliminal thought pattern of there's a lot of white guys there mm-hmm. lots of money I'm not quite sure we'll fit in and that's really sad because if you actually look at Lewis for instance he has really proven that that mindset wrong I mean he's not come from an elitist background and he is arguably the greatest driver of of the time so what do you think can actually be done to challenge that mindset and to bring the opportunities to people who might be thinking like that that could actually be the next Lewis Hamilton? What can actually be done to to motivate them and to inspire them other than Lewis in motorsport right now? I think first and foremost, it, it probably takes people like myself who have been there, who have seen what it's like, and it's not that bad. You know, yeah. the environment is not that bad. Everybody's there to do a job. It's a team environment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's about making it accessible at whatever level, because even when I went karting, there were one or two lad and dad teams there, but yeah. always to one side, never in amongst it. You know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, that they'd turn up, they'd put their carts on the track, pack up and go. There was never that that social integration. And it's it's at that level. It was the same thing with even when you had the the smaller two-man band, the, the lad and dad, or you had the big teams there. It's a bit like Mercedes and Ferrari, and then you had the, the the smaller teams at the end, always making up the pattern, but never actually challenging the big boys. And so that mm-hmm. that's that's the divide comes from grassroots. It doesn't start at the top; it starts at grassroots. So it's it's getting them introduced at grassroots level. Everybody, male, female, black, white, all there. Big melting pot, level playing field. You know, mm-hmm. has to be. And then it can be permeated up the ch- up the chain. So, how do you think we start at grassroots? Then, um, so obviously that you're saying that's that's the key. How do we then get people from underrepresented groups to get to that first rung on the ladder, so to speak? I think it's about introducing it to them rather than bringing them to it, mm-hmm. because they there's always going to be that natural reticence from that group of people if you like that will say well no i really don't that's that's not for me because i won't even try it and it's about getting them to understand well look this is this is what this is all about experience it first don't make a judgment before you even it's like a kid saying i don't like greens without even taking a bite <laughs> you know they, they they need to be in a position where there are open days track days you know yeah open where, where anybody can go along there's there's a you know, a row of cars, jump in, have a go, just have mm-hmm. fun, you know, because ultimately there are people that will be there watching that will recognize where there is potential for talent. You're not going to go out there and smash lap times. And, and most of these people will understand that, yeah, you've been, you've been practicing your raw and that's what they're looking for. Your raw, we can work with you. Mm-hmm. Somebody that's been there and done it over and over again, it's like teaching an old dog new tricks. They're never going to, they're going to be harder to teach. But there's someone that's just got a raw talent, a bit like Lewis was back in the, way back in his early days, just absolute out and out raw talent, drove yeah. by the seat of his pants and outdid everybody. And that's what we need to do. It's about getting that introduced into those little groups where it's just an open forum where just have a go encourage them to have a go and then there, there are people there that will be able to say you know you've done really well then just giving them encouragement at every step of the way 
saying, you know, this could be you, you know, this could be you. Having those role models. I mean, I think for me, one of my daydream moments, I suppose, was, was always having that, that point where I'd have a Lewis Hamilton walking with me through a paddock, yeah. totally unannounced, where I'd say, you know, just say hello to that kid there. And all, all Lewis would have to say to him is say, one day you could be where I am. Aww. And that's all it would take. Yeah. Because, you know, I have been in a position where I've been with Lewis walking through and onto it on, you know, when he's coming into the circuits and our kids there. And he has done that. And it has made their weekend. It's not just the day, it's the entire weekend. Mm. Or when I've been with Nico or with Michael and, and, and he's done the same thing. They just light up and that's all it takes. It's just work, just a few words of encouragement. You can do this. If you really apply yourself, this could be you. Absolutely. I think role models are, are key because there's that age old adage of, you know, you can't be who you can't see. If there's no one there who looks like you or who sort of has experienced similar things to you, you know, you can't, it's hard to relate. And it's hard to see yourself in that position. So I think, I mean, this is one of the reasons why why we wanted to do this podcast so that we can provide a platform for role models um, for, you know, so people can look up to, to them and aspire to one day be in that position and have those words of encouragement and advice uh, shared with them. Yeah, I mean, and anybody who is listening to this podcast at any point, if they ever want that those words of encouragement, that, that little bit of a, a helping hand. If they need someone to walk them through the system, I'll do that with them gladly because I understand how, the trepidation that you can have that first time you walk into a pad, the first time you're in, in a room full of, of strangers. In, in my case, it was in a room full of world champions. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? This just isn't me. But you adapt and you learn and you understand and be willing to learn. But just it's, it's sometimes being taken by the hand and shown, just do this. Mm. Nowadays, obviously, there's a lot of talk of, you know, needing to increase diversity, increase the number of faces from underrepresented backgrounds. But sometimes there is the concern that you're then hiring people as a tick box. So how do you actually challenge that and ensure that people are feeling valued and that you are hiring them for the right reasons and that they know that you're hiring them for the right reasons and not just as a, as a token. Yeah, I think you, as each individual has to take it on their own representation, it's how mm -hmm. they view their position within that team. Now, if you value your, yourself and your self-worth and you have got that position not based on the fact that you feel you're there for colour, yeah. then you will do the job to the best of your ability. You cannot go into any position, in my personal opinion, to suggest that I'm the token, you know? Otherwise, you'll never really get past that barrier. I could have looked at my appointment in one of two ways. Was I employed, because Lewis was a black guy coming into a, into a white team with no other black representation? Or was I employed because I was good at talking to people, good at interacting with people, good at introducing myself and, and carried myself well? Mm -hmm. Now, I chose the latter as my reason. Now, did I allow myself to be blinkered by the fact that I may or may not be accepted in the team? Possibly. I didn't allow myself to think that, though, because I had a job to do. And I, all I wanted to do was to do that job well. And if they felt or if they think they had an agenda if, or if I had felt they had an agenda, would I have done my job as well? I don't know. Ultimately, understand that you are there on merit, nothing else. Mm -hmm. Color does not come into it. Even if you are the first one in there, you are there on merit. And they have to treat you on merit. You are paid on merit you are you know your your job is on merit. everything you do is on merit in my eyes that's a really important message yeah never lose sight of that so on the back of that what advice would you give to someone who might be feeling a bit disheartened there might be young people out there who are looking into the sport wanting to get there but feel disheartened or frightened about stepping into 
an industry that is so white dominated, male dominated, what would you say to them other than that they can reach out to people and get advice and get their hand held for them in themselves? What would be your advice? I'd get them to ask themselves why they feel that in the first place. Where did that insecurity come from? Because once you understand where the insecurity comes from, you can deal with it at its source because you can't have the roots of something there with the top cut off. So it's not on show. Understand the source of the problem, then you can move on because it's only until that is dealt with. It's, it's a bit like, you know, the previous point of, of, of where you go from here, whether you feel you are marginalized or whether you feel you are the token person because of new initiatives and so on. You've got to change the way that mindset works. We are under the skin, all equal. And you have to believe that. There is nothing that says that we, we cannot be equal apart mm-hmm. from somebody else's opinion of you. Definitely. I think self-belief yeah. goes a long, long way. Exactly. It does. It goes, it goes miles. And for me, again, it, you know, I, I, could, I can honestly say that with everything that's gone on in the world in general, I've been fortunate enough not to have experienced it to any great degree. But what I will say is that I have questioned myself a lot in whether I have put myself as one of those people in a bubble to pretend it doesn't exist, you know, and it does. When I, when I have gone through my life and explored various things that have gone on, it's those subliminal messages that walking down the street um, and you are just about to approach a white lady and she just slightly repositions the handbag, you know, for probably doesn't even know why she doesn't even know she's doing it or doesn't even know why she's doing it. It's that unconscious bias. Exactly. And so for me, when I think back that, yeah, that's happened to me or feeling that I need to cross the road when I see a group of white lads, cause I think I might get, might get a good kick in mm. for absolutely no reason, you know, but have I put myself in a bubble to protect myself from that? Or do I know it exists and ignore it? Mm. Maybe I have done, but that's for me, you know, and, and everybody else to understand there. And this is why I come back to that reason of understand the reasons why you feel that certain things are holding you back first. Once you get that out of the way, everything else becomes relatively easy. It's then up to the institutions themselves to understand how you think and why have they got those policies? Why have they felt the need to get those policies in place? Because they've clearly had shortcomings in the past. And it's, 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 it just works its way back. So everybody needs to ask themselves why. Yeah. It's going in the right direction. But, and, and conversations like this where you can question everything without fear of, of being uh, vilified for having an opinion then I'm all for it. Speak. You should be allowed to speak up and speak your mind. You don't have to be abusive when you speak your mind, but you can have an opinion. You shared with us a lot of really good insights, really great advice and a lot of important life lessons. But what is your hope for the future of diversity and inclusion in motorsport? Ultimately, I want to see anybody given the opportunity to prove that they can be the best. It doesn't matter about gender, doesn't matter about race. You just have to be the best that you can be. If you are good enough, you deserve the right to express that and show that and be able to put that on display. Like every, all those top 20 drivers, those guys that are on TV, on Sky and all that. If you are good enough, you have as much the right to an opportunity as they do. And that representation just now needs to be far more mixed. Absolutely. You know, it is, you know, people of color are grossly underrepresented and it just needs to change. The opportunities are now being made available. And I think people of color need to, to take advantage of that. They need to recognize that this is an opportunity now. We don't want to be included in something at the exclusion of somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. want to be included on merit. That's yeah. You know, we're not, you don't want to take away something from somebody else because that's when division occurs. 
it's about being there. And if you open it up to a broader spectrum of people, you're going to have a wider audience. So there's going to be enough for everybody to go around. Well, life can work in mysterious ways. Ivy didn't set out to do any of those roles, but just by being open to opportunities, he found himself in the pinnacle of motorsport. So it really just goes to show how important it is in this industry to say yes to the opportunities that come your way. Do you know what, Ariana? You are so right there. I think always say yes to the opportunities, even if it's not on the face of it, your your dream role or your dream opportunity. All, all roads lead to Rome and, and you'll get there. Um, just keep saying yes, keep working hard and, and you will get there with a bit of determination. Absolutely. Ivor shared some really helpful career advice there and some great insights into the different people he's worked with within Formula One. Yeah, in terms of career advice, one key takeaway from our chat with Ivor was the importance of creating great relationships with people, you know, connecting, networking, really speaking to to everyone that you come across because you never know again linking through to the opportunities bit that we've just mentioned you never know who can open what door for you and you never know where things are going to lead yeah I also really like the emphasis on the fact that people should be included on merit that's an important point here it's not about taking opportunities from one group to give them to another it's about the opportunity being equal and just creating a fairer system Completely. I think that is such an important point to remember. We want people from all underrepresented groups to have access to the same opportunities as anyone else. Just going back as well to something else Ivor mentioned in our chat, the fact that he could almost count on one hand how many people of colour or faces of colour there were or there are in the F1 paddock. Um, I mean, I think that's it's no secret anyway that, that the F1 paddock isn't very diverse. But I'm hoping that would all change in the future so the paddock will become clearly more diverse. And it needs to be diversity across the board, including those, for example, from lower socioeconomic backgrounds who have the talent, but they just might not have the access to the opportunities. And it's really brilliant that Ivor has actually taken his experience from Mercedes and he's set up his own organisation dedicated to finding upcoming talent from a range of backgrounds. Absolutely. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about how Ivor is helping to support grassroots racing talent, you can find his webpage at www.integrasupportpartners.co.uk We'll also leave a link in the description of this podcast episode for you to access. As always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram so you can keep up to date with what we're up to at We Are Driven by Diversity. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We will catch you next Tuesday. 